0: Last week, I talked to you about the blood of Jesus. What a concept, what a wonderful reality that the blood of Jesus will wash away all of my sins. It'll cleanse me from any stain. It pays the price for all of my iniquity. It pays the price for all of the rebellion that was in my heart, for all the rebellion that's in your heart. The blood of Jesus can cleanse anybody, anybody. The blood of Jesus is no respecter of persons. The blood of Jesus can cleanse anyone from any sin and any stain, no matter how deep or how powerful it is. The blood of Jesus was the payment for the sin of mankind. And Jesus willingly shed it for you and for me. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about a word from Isaiah 35. And I have a bunch of background that I want to go through. And I'm not sure. Can I talk to you for a minute? I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do this message today. Because there's a verse that I want you to hear, it's so powerful, and it speaks for itself. I want to hear from the Lord, and I want you just to hear this word before we get too far. There's a promise in the book of Isaiah, chapter 35. Before we get there, I do want to give you a little bit of background. Isaiah means the salvation of Jehovah. That's what his name means. And the word salvation is repeated many times in the book. Isaiah was apparently from a leading family in Judah since he had access to several of the Jewish kings. Isaiah was married. He had two sons. And I would encourage you to look up the meaning of his two sons' names. He began his ministry near the close of the reign of King Uzziah in Isaiah chapter 6. You remember he had that vision, powerful. About 758 B.C., and Isaiah preached till the turn of the century. Tradition tells us that Isaiah was sown asunder. He was cut in half by wicked King Manasseh. The book of Isaiah divides itself into two sections. Chapters 1 through 39 and chapters 40 through 66. It's been suggested that the book of Isaiah is much like a miniature Bible, as it were. The Old Testament is 39 books, the New Testament is 27 books. The first section warns the Jews about the impending Assyrian invasion of Judah, while the second section encourages the captives returning from Babylonian captivity. The main theme of the first section is God's discipline of Judah for their sins, while the main theme of the second section is God's comfort of the captives after their time of suffering. Isaiah experienced the events of the first 39 chapters, but he prophesied about the events of the last section of the book. The time that Isaiah talks about here as far as in the life of Israel, it's much longer than this because it's about the life of the church and about Jesus the Messiah, but it's 179 years later. He prophesied about two different events and two different periods of time that cover about 179 years. And as I said, he got to witness the first part, but he spoke prophetically about the second part. In the first part, Assyria was their chief foe. In the second part, Babylon was the enemy. A little bit more history. You'll recall that the nation of Israel was divided, that the people of Israel were divided into two kingdoms after the death of Solomon. We have ten tribes in the north were organized as Israel. The two tribes in the south were Judah. Israel never had a godly king from that time on. All of their kings were evil and did evil in the sight of the Lord. The capital of Israel was Samaria. The capital of Judah was Jerusalem. Isaiah ministered in Jerusalem. Also, there were some things real quick, and I'm just going to do a quick rabbit trail. Israel was like a, a land bridge. And what they found was that certain parts of, I'm going to call it like this the areas where they had other people traveling through, very much. They brought with them their ideas. They brought with them their gods, their thoughts. And so in those areas, those areas Israel was influenced, they were influenced by other gods. And Judah, although because of geographically, they were kind of off to themselves a little more, also because their hearts were a particular way, they stayed closer to the Lord than what Israel did. Isaiah lived, as I said, he lived to see the decline of Israel, the northern kingdom, and finally see it go into ruin under Assyria. The political scene was threatening to Judah at the time as well. Assyria was this menacing superpower, and the other nations wanted to form a coalition to fight against her. However, King Ahaz of Judah would not join the league. So Syria and Israel attack Judah to try to force King Ahaz to cooperate instead of trusting in the Lord for help. Remember this, Ahaz turned to Assyria for assistance and he made a secret pact with them. Assyria was only too glad to get their foot in the door and she defeated Israel in 721 BC. But Judah became a vassal state of Assyria and that was the price that Ahaz had to pay for his security. No sooner was Israel out of the way than Assyria decided to attack Judah and enslave the entire Jewish nation. Isaiah told the people to trust the Lord for help, but various groups told the king to turn to Egypt for aid. And I just listened to this in my devotions this morning. In chapters 36 through 39, Isaiah tells how God gave King Hezekiah victory over Assyria when the invading army was at the very walls of Jerusalem. However, Judah was so weakened by war, and not so much by war. Judah was weakened by their spiritual compromise. That's where their weakness comes. Can I tell you, you will never be destroyed from outside. You're never going to be destroyed from outside. It's from the inside that people are destroyed. It's from the inside. It was their compromise that put them in this place because God said, if you follow me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the head and not the tail. But if you disobey and you rebel against me, all of this evil will come upon you. Judah was so weakened by war and her cities had been so overrun by the enemy that the nation never really recovered. Assyria was defeated by the Egyptians And the Egyptians fell to the Babylonians. And in 606 to around 580 BC, the Babylonians took Judah into captivity. So in the first half of the book, Isaiah counseled the nation concerning Assyria. In the last half of the book, he comforts the remnant concerning their return from Babylon. And as I said, this covers 173 years. A little bit more about the book. The book of Isaiah provides us with a rich, prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. And if you look at it, there's a lot of these woe to, okay? And anytime God says woe to you, that's not good. That's not good. If you read through the book of Isaiah, there's these prophecies of horrible judgment. But then there's these rays of light that break through. In the midst of this horrible darkness, I was listening this morning as I was getting ready. And the guy comes up and he says to King Hezekiah, hey, Hezekiah, you know, he's talking to him. It's just like a soldier. They're talking to him so that the people understand. And he says, speak to us in another language so that the people don't understand. And he said, no, we're not going to do that. They need to hear what's coming to them. There's these horrible judgments that are coming upon the people of God. They're coming down the road. They are on the way. They're seeing it. Sometimes they're in the midst of it, this horrible judgment. But in the midst of this crazy darkness, there's this glorious light that breaks through and gives people a glimmer of hope when there's no hope at all. It's amazing. Throughout the scripture, you find Jesus being proclaimed. The Messiah is proclaimed again and again throughout the book of Isaiah. Let me share with you just a couple of the ways that they speak of him. 750 years in advance. Listen, 750 years in advance, we see his birth foretold. We see the ministry of John the Baptist spoken about. We see Christ anointed by the Spirit. We see Christ the Servant. We see the prophetic word of Israel's rejection of Christ. We hear about the stone, the stone that the builders rejected, the stumbling stone. We hear about Christ's ministry to the Gentiles. We hear about Christ's suffering and his death in Isaiah 53 and on. I believe it's 53 through 57. We hear about his resurrection and we hear about his soon coming as their king. These are all found in the book of Isaiah. And almost in the middle of the book is our text for today. It's written to a people who are facing and who are in the middle of sure judgment and devastation. When they looked around, it was easy to be overcome by what they heard and what they saw. But the prophet gives these words. Listen to them. Isaiah 35, 3. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts. Would you say this with me? Read it with me. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Look at the person next to you. Say, he'll come to save you. Friend, that is God's word for this house today. That is God's word for lighthouse. Listen to what he said. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. First, it says this. Strengthen the feeble hands. The Hebrew word for strengthen refers to the strength residing in the hand for grasping or holding on to something. I declare to you today that God is strengthening the grip of those who have been saying, I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know how much longer I can hold on And in the name of Jesus, my friend, may you be infused with supernatural strength, not only to endure, but to overcome. And I want to say this to you. My spirit gets a check. There's something in my spirit that gets a check. When you start saying, I don't know how much longer I can hold on, you are listening to the voice of the devil. You are speaking demonic words. That is not God's word for you. God's word for you is I am strong. I am capable. I have everything that I need. What does it say? Let the poor say I am rich. Let the weak say I am strong. Why? Because of what the Lord, not what I've done, but what the Lord has done in us. So can we change our vocabulary today? Sometimes I want to feel sorry for you for saying that. Because I know some of you, that's the way our mind thinks. And that's the way we feel. As a man thinketh in his heart. So is he. So you start thinking that you can't hold on any longer and you're going to let go. You start thinking that you're weak and you're going to manifest weakness. But if you start believing and trusting the word of God, I'm strong because of what God has done in me. I'm strong because his spirit lives inside of me. He's given me more than enough. My God is able to do exceedingly abundantly Above all I can ask or think. He's given me everything I need. There's nothing that I have need of that he will not supply. And so today, what he says, he says, speak to that person who, in the natural, they say, I'm almost ready to lose my grip. But we're not saying that anymore. Do you ever feel that way? You feel like you're starting to lose your grip. Your hands are starting to get tired. wonder, how much longer can I hold on? He says, speak to that person. Strengthen those hands that are weary and tired. Secondly, it says steady the knees that give way. Now that's talking about fear. Not just fear, but terror to the point that people's knees begin to shake. That people's knees begin to get weak, where their legs start to tremble. We know that fear is not of God. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. My Bible says that he's given me a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a sound mind. Fear is a spirit. It is of the enemy. It is not of God. God didn't give it to us. And you do not have to accept it. Listen, you don't have to accept it. Everything that somebody tries to give you, you don't have to accept. Everything someone tries to put upon you, you do not have to take. The Bible says, do not give place to the devil. And every time we give in to fear, every time we let fear control us or take control of our minds, or when you give a place to fear in your life, you are giving a place to the enemy. The Bible says, do not do that. Instead of fear, God has given to each of us a measure of faith. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given each of us a measure of faith. You don't have to have a whole lot of faith to see things happen. You don't have to have a whole lot of faith to make it through. The Bible says that if we have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, we can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it will be done. So let's not focus on fear, but let's get our focus on faith. Don't say things like, I don't know how much longer I can hold on. You and I can be encouraged by the assurance of the blessings that God has promised to us. There's a blessing that's promised, not only to us, but there's a blessing that's available to all who call upon the name of the Lord. There's a blessing of the Lord, the Bible says, that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. There is a blessing that's ours because we are in Christ. And he has already won the victory over death, over hell, and over the grave. Friend, Jesus has purchased your redemption with his precious blood. And he's not going to abandon you now. He's not going to abandon anyone who calls on his name. He doesn't leave anyone behind. He says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. But what do we have to do? We have to call upon him. The prophet was told to speak to the fearful hearted. And he was to say this. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come and he will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. I want you to do something. Take your phones. All of you got phones. What's vengeance mean? Say it louder one more time. Oh, payback. Your God's coming with payback. Huh? He says he's coming with payback. Anyone else? Okay, he's settling the score. Yeah. Someone else. Anyone else have anything else at... with great force, your God's coming with vengeance. God says, I'm coming after them with vengeance. Can you imagine a daughter, a sister, who's crying and afraid, and her dad sits by and does, well, let me see who I can call. You need to do something. You need to do something. Even if you go over and he beats the tar out of you, you need to go over and address that issue. You cannot stand by. This is what God says. God says, I'm coming when you call to me, just like a father with his child. He says, if you call me, you can be assured of one thing. I'm coming for you, and I'm coming with vengeance. What was that thing again? Do you have that? Look that up. I'm coming with vengeance, and the other one was divine retribution. I'm going to pay them back for what they did to you. Now, it's not our job someone offends us. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying someone might hurt your feelings. And I'm going to come and hit you with a board or anything. No, we're not talking that. What is it? Retribution with great force or vehement? Great force. This is what God says to the person who's afraid. They're afraid. The enemy's been wrecking havoc on your family. He's been wrecking havoc on your life he has you in a place that there's no way out that there's no hope where well, your hands are so tired and you wonder in yourself how much longer can I hold on god says i'm coming he says you tell them this he says say to those with fearful hearts oh, tired I don't know how much longer i can hold on these situations are overwhelming me i'm scared When I think about the future, I'm overwhelmed. He says, say to them this, be strong, do not fear, because your dad's coming. And he's coming with vengeance, with divine retribution, and he will come and save you. He'll come and save you, my friend. I don't care what situation you're in. I don't care if it's your fault. I don't care no matter what you've done in the past. The Lord, when you call upon him, he says, he's coming. He's coming to defend you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry anymore. Your heavenly father is coming. He's going to exact revenge upon the enemy who comes against you. And he's going to save you. He's going to rescue you. What a glorious thought. What's your situation? Pastor, I'm overwhelmed by fear. The Lord, your God's coming. And he's coming to save you. Pastor, I'm jammed up. I'm in a difficult situation. Listen, your father's coming. Just hang on a little longer. Dad's going to be here. You don't have to be afraid because he's coming with vengeance and he is going to save you. Listen to the next verses. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Whenever he does that, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will go. A highway will be there and it will be called the way of holiness. And you got to understand, if they had gone anywhere during those times, there was no safety. There was no security. Anywhere they went, they didn't know people could, could attack them, could take from them. They could abuse them, do whatever they wanted. He says, a highway of holiness. It will be for those who walk that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will will overtake them in sorrow and sighing. And if you do any sighing? Uh, sadness, heaviness. It says sorrow and sighing. You wake up some mornings, you, uh, you hear news. Uh, sorrow and sighing will flee away. I don't know what your situation is, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt what the word of the Lord is for this congregation today. He says, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He's just not showing up. He's coming with vengeance. When God comes in the room, he's ticked. When God comes in the room, his eyes are burning with fire. There's a passion in his heart. He's coming with vengeance, with divine payback. And he's coming to save you. There's something really beautiful too about when you make a step out and you just ask God, Lord, would you rescue me? Lord, would you turn your face towards me? Lord, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to trust in you. I don't know what your need is, but we would love to pray for you. But more important than that, God's going to meet you here. And you're going to be strengthened in your inner man as you meet with the Lord today. Thank you, Lord.